You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Matt Brock here. You're listening to Inside Healthcare. And this time, Peggy O'Kane makes one of her regular visits to our studio. Let's quickly get to her discussion with our public policy vice president, Frank Michike. So, Peggy, I wanted to start out today by bragging a little bit on you. You've been uh, nominated and, and are now participating in um, what the Department of Health and Human Services is calling their Quality Summit. Uh, this is a, a compilation of a number of very accomplished uh, healthcare professionals uh, being brought together under the auspice of um, an executive order from the president. Uh, and the goal is to develop a blueprint for health quality measurement across the federal government. Uh, as we know, and you know better than almost anyone, uh, there is are a myriad of uh, quality measurement programs, uh, both in the private and commercial sectors, but also across the various federal agencies. So part of the goal of this summit is to develop uh, a, a synthesized, uh, coordinated model for quality measurement across um, HHS, uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, the military health system, uh, and really all others who, who uh, measure quality and who provide and or pay for uh, quality. So there were over 300 uh, nominations for this quality summit. Uh, you were among the 19 folks who were selected. So A, congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, well earned. Uh, we had no doubt you should be there and we're happy to uh, hear that HHS agreed. But B, I'd like to ask you, uh, A, or, or I'd like to ask you how uh, that first meeting of the summit went. Um, and then maybe delve into um, some of the perspectives that you're bringing and some of the recommendations you have as to what the big challenges are for creating a more effective measurement system, uh, as well as uh, what the opportunities and what maybe some of the solutions you have in mind are. Right. Yeah, first of all, I am delighted to be serving in this, uh, in this uh, committee or this summit. And I'm very impressed. Um, there are a number of people that I've known for a long time, uh, you know, come out of the quality and policy world that I've been a part of for many decades. Um, and there are also some new people that I have never met before. And I think uh, it's, a, it's an extremely thoughtful group. The first meeting was very interesting. Uh, we have very, very wide uh, points of view uh, on, the, on the group. But I think the conversations were extremely cordial and thoughtful, and we got right into some of the issues. So um, although there are only three meetings envisioned for this group, um, I feel like a lot can be done in a limited amount of time. Great. And as I remember, the there was a central question posed to the group as a starting point around uh, what the essentially what the ideal measurement system would be. So so let's start with that question and it obviously leads in a number of different directions but Yeah. I mean, I think you know, the question seemed to imply that there was one measurement enterprise. And I think part of the issue is that we don't have one measurement enterprise. We have a lot of them and they haven't really been aligned so well. So if you're at the the you know, the front end, the sharp edge of the delivery system, 
you're likely being hit by a lot of different um, measurement philosophies, goals for measurement, and measures themselves. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, that in itself begs some solutions, and I think we'll talk about the solutions. But the first uh, meeting was really to talk about where are we now. And I've been saying in my speeches and so forth that while I think there's a lot to be really proud of in terms of what quality measurement has achieved, we also need to be really honest about the things that aren't working. And um, we know that there is, uh, there's a lot of uh, redundancy, there are incomplete areas of measurement. Um, so I think we all, I don't think anybody in that room feels like we're at the optimal point. And so um, I think getting together and trying to figure out a constructive path forward uh, feels like a really great idea. So we thank the department for convening the group. Yeah, I think it's really an exciting opportunity. It's one of many, of course. Uh, this is not the first administration or uh, individual set of individuals to identify the fact that we have a problem. It is not necessarily too much measurement. Maybe it's um, the, uh, too many different uh, efforts at measurement that aren't aligned and or coordinated and or speaking the same language. Right. I mean, if you think about it... Um what NCQA was born to do was to try to get these requirements aligned. And we started that in 1990. Um, you know, we had some uh, good success with the employers in the beginning because the employers were trying to uh, buy health plans and they were all doing it on their own with their own consultants. And so on a small scale, they had created a lot of the noise and lack of efficiency that we're seeing today. Um, but that really wasn't touching practitioners as much in those days. So, um, I mean, in general, the role of an accreditor is to try to get agreement among the various people that have an interest in quality uh, to, to get on the same page or to say, that's actually good enough for me, even if it's not the ones I would have dreamt up myself. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And it, it feels like that's one of the great challenges, which is I think we have some directional agreement on the types, or, or I should say on what makes for quality healthcare. The question is, can uh, the influential actors in this sphere agree that they're not going to get everything they want, that not everything they want to measure is worth measuring if the result of that is that we're measuring everything and the doctors are pulling their hair out right. and dropping out of the practice of medicine right. because of uh, right. what's being imposed well, on Well, we're far from measuring everything, so let's be really <laughs> clear about that. It seems like we're measuring everything about primary care in a hundred different ways. And I, I think there's a real crisis for primary care practitioners um, who rightfully say, can't you all get on the same page? But when it comes to specialty care, I think there's a real shortage of any valuable information. And you can imagine in my job how many calls I get all the time about where should I go to have my breast cancer treated or where should I go to have my hip replaced. Um, and currently, there's really not information out there. There may be on a small scale in some local uh, jurisdictions. But um, for your average Medicare enrollee, there's really not much information. Um, you know, the, the shining example for Medicare, I think, 
is Medicare Advantage, where, you know, could it be better? Of course, it could be better. There could be other things in there that we don't see today, but it's a pretty robust set of measures. It's been translated into a user-friendly format of STARS. It's been um, aligned with benefit design. So if you choose one of the four and a half or five star plans, you get extra benefits like hearing aids or uh, glasses. And so it creates a virtuous cycle of high quality plans being rewarded for their quality um, and, by and greater so, invro- and, and a, a shift of membership towards these high quality plans. So folks are following the incentives that these high quality plans are offering. And that's good because they are only allowed to offer them because they're high quality. Right. Uh, They're only given the money. They're allowed to, but if they don't have the money, that's kind of... It's only affordable for them to do so if they have demonstrated to to Medicare that, in fact, they are a um, a high quality plan. And to a degree, I think part of what's maybe there that's missing on the uh, clinician side is um, an agreement on how on the validity of the measurement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So while plans in some cases may come kicking and screaming to the table, um, they uh, CMS has laid out uh, primarily HEDIS measures that they are uh, basing these ratings on. The plans know what's entailed, and they work hard uh, to get better on those specific criteria. Uh, and as a result, they're rewarded for it. Right. Uh, and, right. And, the, and the market is thriving from, right. by all accounts, whether yeah, it's that's- it's growing like crazy. It's up yeah. to 35%. I think in a, I don't remember what year they're expecting it to hit 50%. But um, it's, you know, it really is working and, and it could be better. I think, though, to be fair- it's kind of an easier uh, task to measure the quality of a health plan because you get the luxury of saying, you, you, the health plan, are responsible for everything that happens to your members, and not for every, but for the quality of care that your members receive. Um, when you're talking about smaller units like the hospital or the doctor, they're used to operating fairly independently of each other. So your average, and this is old data from the 1990s, your average Medicare beneficiary sees seven doctors in a year. And if they're sick, I believe they see 11, or that was what the data showed in that study. Well, even if all of those doctors are doing the right thing, it may not be that you know I, who am seeing the seven doctors, am getting everything that I need. And to compound that, we don't measure everything that those doctors do. It would be too much. Um, So we're measuring a slice, and they get to pick the slice, um, which may not, in in fact, touch anything that I, as a patient, am receiving from that doctor. You know, so um, there really is a real problem of trying to advance this kind of a transparency and rewarding quality agenda on too small a level. And and I want to get back to a couple other points, but and I gone down this road talking with you and a lot of folks in this sphere, it makes you sort of want to throw your hands up and say, how could we possibly do it? And yet we have to, and, and we're constantly, we as NCQA and Mm -hmm. the quality movement more broadly is constantly trying to do it. Uh, When you lay out the challenge as you Mm -hmm. did just there, my first thought is, yeah, Yeah, (laughs) so 
so what what are what's the core of of at least beginning to meet that challenge? I think data is probably in there somewhere. Yeah. Like some of what has changed. Well, I mean the the whole question of accountability, I think, is something that, I mean, I I think I go back to the the fact that when people go on Medicare. They actually are at a choice point where they have to make a decision. Are they going to go with with Medicare Advantage where they can see stars and they can see probably more affordable premiums and um, probably um, some enhanced benefits if they're cho choosing a high-quality plan versus classic Medicare where I think many people think, well, at least I'm not locked in. Uh, at least I can go to, you know, XYZ brand uh, hospital down the street that I assume is great and may not be. Um, so, but the point is there really is no information on the quality that they, when they're sitting there making that choice. Um, so it really is an incomplete agenda. And it, you know, I mean, I, I have to give a lot of credit to CMS for all the work that it's done to deal with the, these sticky issues that are really not solvable. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, CMS has bravely gone down the route of measuring doctors and with all the pushback that you could have expected for that. And um, I mean, they, they take a lot of criticism for working on something that is pretty hard to do. Um, hospitals, uh, you know, they're a powerful lobby. I mean, we all knew that hospital care was extremely dangerous. Uh, CMS has a bunch of hospital measures that are addressing many of those critical things that are really life and death matters. Um, and there's also a powerful hospital lobby. And there are measures that are not perfect. So that adds up to a lot of political uh, storm and drung. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, I think it depends on how broadly you want to define the problem. I think, yeah, Medicare Advantage, that's working okay, but not, you know, it's not perfect. There are a lot of things that could be better. Um, physician measurement, there's a lot. Of, it's not, None of it is really particularly user-friendly. Uh, are people going to go to, I mean, the, the uh, Medicare, the compare websites don't compare doctors at this point. They do compare hospitals. I think it's, I'd be interested to know how many consumers actually look at that. I had occasion to look at it. I was very surprised at the counter. I mean, the, uh, you know, the brand branded hospitals were not necessarily the highest quality hospitals. I won't mention any names, but in the, in the greater Washington area, we have one four-star hospital and a number of one, two, three, um, in Maryland, where I live, where they're under a waiver and a special payment arrangement, there's no information on the quality of the hospitals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's there's a lot of work to do. Sure, yeah. sure. I want to go back to something you mentioned that struck me, which was uh, we don't measure everything. You said we probably measure everything in primary care, and maybe we measure well, it four we really different don't, times. But, 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 yeah, but, but I take your point. Yeah. The irony there, although it's probably just um, common knowledge for a lot of uh, quality wonks, is that the vast majority of spending doesn't occur right. in primary care. Right. Spending or or care, or at least the well, vast care, majority I'm of not so sure. sure, but the vast majority of, um, of of major uh, procedures, let's say, or, or or where does the money go? Exactly. So, ironically, we may be over measuring. 
the um, one of the most important, but also um, one of the least prioritized areas, at least in terms of where the money goes. And it's the Wild West, so to speak, in the areas where the money really is going and where, uh, to take nothing away from primary care, but where life and death often occurs, where the decisions, the stakes of the decisions are often much higher. Right, right. Um, How'd we get here? I I wouldn't say we're over-measuring primary care. I would say we haven't made it efficient. You know, so we have plans that are out there, commercial plans, with their own measures of the same things that Medicare is is having us measure and so forth. So it's a coordination problem and a prioritization problem. Now, the measuring the quality of specialists, I mean, there's a reason that primary care doctors are underpaid relative to specialists. It's called politics. And um, the Resource Utilization Committee, I think it's called the RUC, um, has in its, in its constant messages to CMS about the payment levels, has favored specialties. And um, so the political power of specialties is greater than the power of primary care. And so this is what you get, I think, at the end of the day. But your point is, I mean, you know, think about it. If you have cancer, it really matters where you go. And there's plenty of research to show that if you go to the wrong place, you are probably going to die when it wasn't necessary. Um, but we still don't have very coherent measures of cancer treatment effectiveness and so forth. Um, so, you know, we need to do better. Um, so. so I think I may have deterred you at one point because um, or, or or somehow we got on a different uh, path. But I do want to ask um, what role you think data writ large and the advances that have been made in technology, uh, EMRs down to everything else, and, and there's some question about how much of an advance the EMRs have been, uh, what role you think those play, uh, the, these advances play, and um, how do we consolidate some of the gains. We're clearly a heck of a lot more wired and connected in healthcare than we were 10 years ago, say, before the ARA. Um, however, it doesn't always feel like we're any closer to the goal of uh, data following patients and people being able to. Uh, yeah, I have to it. say, I think this is one of the great disappointments of those of us that work in quality. Um, I think when when the ARA was passed and people got these incentives to install electronic medical records, we thought soon it'll be possible for somebody to go push a button and, and say, how many, of, how many of my people with diabetes are under control? You know, and it isn't true. It doesn't happen. It's even worse than that. It's at the point of delivering the care, many times the data that the practitioner needs to do the right thing are not available. And two practitioners, even within the same system, if they're seeing the same patient, their installations of the big medical record um, may be different and not compatible. So uh, CMS has taken on this issue of interoperability. It's a big deal. Uh, There are other issues with electronic medical records. Um, One is they were designed to maximize billing. So think of that as a fee-for-service driven uh, logic. It's not necessarily what you need if you're delivering value-based care. So that's that's a, a problem. Um, uh, there's a problem with actually getting, you know, the 
electronic medical record, the people that own them and are using them are often having to pay the people that they bought them from for it to get their own data. This, this I, is this a is remarkable a, thing. Can you delve a little deeper into how that works? Yeah. So they've now given you a medical record where you can't push the button that we wanted, right? You can't get the information. And they will happily come in there and get it for you, and you get to pay them for the privilege of <laughs> seeing your own data. I think this is absolutely ridiculous and shocking and should be against the law. Yeah. And I think uh, some of the language that was in the 21st Century Cures Act around um, data blocking is beginning to chip away at mm -hmm. that. Um, and certainly, I think we should give credit to Congress and the administration who have focused on yes. these roadblocks recently. Yes. Um, and so maybe we are making some progress, but it's sort of progress you almost wished we wouldn't have to make, right? You would imagine the data that a doctor records in their own EMR is available to that doctor, I, never mind the patient. I'm going to start keeping a list of business models that ought to be against the law. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you've been watching on TV on a lot of talk shows. Uh, they have this commercial for... Uh, balance billing or surprise billing. And I think everybody in healthcare is like, what? How does this, how does this happen? And there's an ad saying, well, be careful. Don't pass a law that makes this illegal because you're going to compromise the quality of care. And some resourceful uh, investigative reporters went to see who ran these ads. And it was two venture-backed companies that do interim staffing in ERs and other places. So it's their business model to do surprise billing, okay? <laughs> Confirming really, all of our really? worst uh, <laughs> suspicions. Uh, let me, uh, I, we've had a great discussion here. Let me close with this. Um, the issue of a national patient identifier was in the news recently just because uh, I believe it was, I know it was being debated in the appropriations committees uh, as the annual labor HHS bill was uh, has been moving. Uh, to those who haven't been involved in the debate, um, and it feels like that that issue uh, had a had a moment, maybe say the '90s, early 2000s. It's been around for a long time. Yeah, but it feels like it hasn't for a while. However, as we start. Um, trying to figure out more and more how to unlock all this, these troves of data that are, are now available, it feels like its moment may be coming back or it feels like it could be a part of the solution because uh, there are just, uh, it is harder than I think almost anyone would imagine to identify a patient mm -hmm. simply and, um, uh, and particularly if you're talking across and, systems. Yeah, in a valid way, right? Yes. Because you don't want John Smith... John B. Smith to get, be getting the care that John H. Smith was supposed to be getting. Yes, uh, there are all sorts of ramifications right. to that. Privacy, right. uh, life exactly. and death, et cetera. Exactly. So uh, how much of a, w w without having teed this up, or, or uh, it's a, it's a it's big okay. question. I have a point of view. Yes, I know <laughs> you, you do. Imagine. We love that. <laughs> um, how much of a panacea or a magic bullet done well do you think an effective... NPI could be uh, to the um, data. It's not challenges. a panacea. It's not a magic bullet. It's a condition of success, you know, and not for, you know, I mean, can we operate without it? Are there, there are workarounds that people can use to kind of figure out who's who. And I'm sure that hackers can figure out which John Smith you are uh, with no problem. 
Um, so I think that there's a sort of fantasy out there that everything that happens in healthcare is is really private. And you know, I mean, we have HIPAA and so forth. I don't think that this compromises privacy in any meaningful way, to be honest. And I think it enables you to get the right care and have people identify, especially as we're going into an area where AI or a time when AI is going to be able to identify things about you that need to be tended to. Uh, the upside, I think, for any given patient is much greater than the downside. And the upside for us as a society is greater than the downside. How that plays out politically, I don't know. I mean, who would have ever thought that people, that we would be getting taken off the having cured measles list of countries? So, I mean, we're in a weird time when rationality doesn't necessarily prevail. Yeah. So I don't know how it'll turn out. And, and yet, it seems... Um, at least the uh, rising generations are pretty um, accepting of the fact that privacy yeah. doesn't really exist yeah. anymore, yeah. and the, the threat fault, of I people think. knowing yeah. who you are is um, is maybe uh, less to them than earlier generations. Right. Let's close with uh, one of my favorite segments of the Peggy O'Kane podcast, uh -oh. which is, "What are you reading?" <laughs> what am I reading? Uh oh. Uh, let's see. I am currently reading. Madame Forsade's Secret War, which is about a woman who was the head of the French resistance in a part of France. Uh, it's really amazing and fascinating. So that's a great book. Um, I just heard Samantha Power on the radio because her new book is out. And I've been a great admirer of hers for years. Um, she wrote a problem from hell about uh, genocide. And um, so she's reflecting back on her, I think it's called The Autobiography of an Idealist or something along those lines. So that's next on my list. Well, we'll look forward to a review on that front. I want to congratulate you again for being chosen to participate in the summit. Um, we commend your good work uh, on that front as always. And uh, thanks to you listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Just before we go, though, I want to tell you about some big news around here. Registration is open for Quality Talks 2020. If you haven't been to this, you are missing a real opportunity. It's this amped up TED Talk style event. It's inspiring. It's informative. And really, if you can make healthcare policy fun... Well, this is how you do it. So just check it out. Try and make it. It's a good time. You can uh, register and get all the information at www.qualitytalks.org. And so that does it for this edition of Inside Healthcare. We'll see you again, no doubt.